Hi everyone and welcome to the Let's Get Lytical podcast, the podcast that likes to get lit and political. Our socials are Let's Get Lytical on TikTok, Twitter and Instagram. And please leave a review on Apple or Spotify. I think we've got like 16 reviews on Spotify right now, which is great. Continuing on with our Mozilla Foundation series, if you recall, it's a series all around AI and technology and activism. The annual Mozilla Festival is for anyone interested in technology, human rights and the future of the internet. And this year it's taking place virtually from March the 7th to the 10th. So visit mozillafestival.org to grab your ticket and join a session from anywhere. There's going to be workshops, discussions, art, media pieces and more. So today we have two guests from the digital ID and privacy space. We have Sabelle, who's speaking to us from Brazil, and she's a board member from the Casa Hacker, a community member of Mozilla and an ambassador. And then we also have Lewis, who's based in Kenya, a passionate software developer with a knack for design and development and applications for the web. He builds and manages developer communities fostering the growth of the African developer ecosystem. Thanks for joining me today. It's I'm really excited to have a conversation with you guys about your work with MozFest, but just in general, what you guys have been doing. And I feel like this conversation around digital ID and privacy is so relevant, even right now when we look at like pop culture and everyone watching like the Tinder swindler and things of that nature. So I think it's a really good chat. But I think we should start off with just you guys introducing yourselves, like what you do and yeah, like what what you how you've got involved with the your work at like MozFest and everything. Uh, my name is Sibel. I'm from Brazil. Uh, you can pronounce Sibel. I work with cybersecurity here in Brazil. I've been involved with communities, tech communities, especially feminist communities, you know, try to bring more women for this discussion about uh, privacy and security. Uh, and I've been part of Mozilla community for, I don't know, six years, something like this. This is the first time I'm a wrangler in MozFest, but I already had talks there. I am in this community for a long time and I love to talk about privacy and security issues. Yeah, my name is Louis. I'm based in Nairobi, Kenya. Currently a wrangler at MozFest in the digital ID and privacy space. This is my first time wrangling there, but I've been part of the Mozilla community for the past uh, two years. Cool. Okay. Well, yeah, let's, let's talk about it. Let's talk about digital ID and privacy. So I guess we can just start with really understanding like what is a digital identity and like what are the issues when it comes to like digital identity and privacy and things of that nature because yeah like for me like I, I feel like I sort of mentioned that recently everyone's been watching the tinder swindler it's obviously shown a really massive issue when it comes to like how people can change their digital identity how people can scam people but why is there a need for this like why is there a push towards digital identities and what are the issues that are around the subject how do you find digital ID is that it's a representation of yourself or person or an entity even a company on the internet so we have different social media platforms different apps different places we interact with on the internet and all these places allow you to have a specific id or a representation of yourself there so in the case of the tinder swindler what he did was just have a fake representation of who he actually was on the internet 
Yeah. I mean, I just use the Tinder swindler as like a current example of like the conversation that people are currently having around the, the concepts of digital identities and stuff. But I think it's also shown the need for, I guess I was more saying like from that, we start to see that there are potential issues within the current way that we look at digital identity and privacy. So I think the establishment of a a centralised authority that we currently have, like the government, for instance, having your identity is the way we've always lived. Like the government kind of controls your individual information. Now, because of the internet and because of how our, our identities are changing, you know, you can put your identity on a dating app and you can put your identity into X kind of thing. So I guess I was saying, does that cause any issues or does or, or, or like what do you see as the issues when it comes to how we have our digital identity everywhere? Or is there an issue? Maybe there's not an issue. It's both political and technological thing, you know, when you try to deceive people, especially when you talk about love. I think the worst thing you can do for someone is try to, you know, deceive the person, you know, oh, I love you, you want to date with me, and don't be uh, who you say you are, you know. Uh, I was reading yesterday, actually, about uh, spies, for example. You know, they use love and sex to try to get information for other, for the country, for, I don't know, for a company. And it's the same is going on right now in this Tinder, about this documentary, actually. This kind of thing always happens since forever, but right now it's so damaged for people, especially women. Women feel, oh my God, how can someone do this with me? And... At the same time, well, how can I know who is in the other side? Because we tend to trust someone. You know, if you say, oh, you are Helen, you are Helen. You saying to me, you know, you could be a deep fake right now. And, uh, and I don't know. I hope not, please. <laughs> right now, we can find this person, technological saying, you know, it's easy, kind of easy to discover who, who, this, who is this person. But at the same time, why? You know, why are you trying to trick me? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't have an answer for this. i just trying to, you know, brainstorming about this. About, yes, government always deal with our, my ID. I am Sibel. I'm born in Brazil. Blah, 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 blah. And, but I can be Jose online. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I think, I think if I guess I post you guys a question like, what are privacy issues in AI. I think of stuff such as like data repurposing. So for instance, like one thing that I was reading about is that Apple, Google, Facebook and Microsoft, they get data requests from local states and governments. And so um, 85% of requests made by like the police was handed over, like data requests handed was handed over from the tech company to, you know, the government. That for me is an example of like an issue I see in like privacy and AI, like the data repurposing, like a private entity can sell on your data and things of that nature. I don't know if you guys see any other like issues when it comes to tech companies who are private entities and what they can do with data when it comes to identity and privacy. Yeah, I have a lovely nicknames for them. Evil Corps. They use our data, they get billionaire, trillionaire, I don't know, gazillionaire with our data, you know, and use for evil purpose. We don't have privacy anymore. I don't want to be so negative, a negative person. I always fight for this, you know. I start in tech fighting against this lack of privacy and security for, especially for women, black people, native people, and LGBTQA plus people. But 
right now working the other side with company, you know, with technology. I don't work with these tech companies. I don't I don't trust and don't believe it's not, you know, I can't work in a place like this, but uh, I work in corporations. I, I see clearly that it's barely impossible, you know, to regain your or privacy. Yeah. And do digital identities discriminate against anyone or like, is it because I think there's sometimes this perception that if we put it through like an algorithm or a computer, then things are neutral. But is there any examples where, you know, these things are not inherently neutral and then potentially can cause issues when it comes to the conversations around identities? I can give an example here in Brazil. In Bahia, Salvador, they start to use facial recognition. You know, Brazil, the most of population in Brazil is black, but they are using this facial recognition, but they just jail black people, you know, men and women. This it's terrible. Of course, they are using for to discriminate, you know, people. It's always black people. Uh, they are trying here in Sao Paulo, actually, they are trying to do the same, but happen the same, you know, only black people. We don't have this big immigrant issues in Brazil. Uh, they may be in the, in the borders of Brazil, Bolivia, you know, but it's not an issue for us. That is not a massive immigration, you know, to to Brazil, I don't see a problem, you know, because if they are moving to another country, it's because your country is not so good. You have to do things that you don't want. So, yes, this is an example. Do you have one example? Because you live in Kenya, right, Lewis? I wouldn't say it's really an example of discrimination, but it's just an example of how um, people misuse the data, whatever they get from people. So, like, for example, I'll give an example. My government will probably get data from some big corporation on their population and then later on you come to discover that they were able to build online profiles of people like that and register them to political parties which people didn't necessarily register for so there was this time when it was really trending here that you'd look you'd go to the government website you'd look up your name or your id here and you'd find that you'd been assigned a political party which you didn't specifically pick but somehow they're smart enough to do it in a way okay like um I had all this issue on social media where you get to see things which you only want to see and not really what's what's happening. So, like for example, there's a big issue with tribes here and lobbying groups based on ethnicity. So a politician who comes from an area or a political party which is affiliated with people from a certain ethnicity will most likely find people of that ethnicity registered to it, even though they didn't consent to being part of those members. And in the times we're living in, it's hard to not have a digital ID anywhere. Because these are modern times, but and I don't think a lot of people have a problem with having digital IDs. What they have a problem with is misuse misuse of that data. Yeah, I think you bring up a really important point as around the kind of misinformation or disinformation of identities and of people. And obviously, the big one that people think of is like Trump and like how how important Facebook was in kind of creating a narrative around Trump. And it happened again when it when you look at Brexit in the UK and many other like elections across the world. And so these companies have had to kind of readdress their kind of political affiliations and how they how they move around elections and stuff like that, because it's really crazy, like how powerful they are in creating or not creating a campaign nowadays. And in some ways that's amazing because it means that before, if someone was doing a small protest outside, I don't know, a, a fur shop, um, it would just be that that group of people. But now they obviously have a platform to always share and always be able to 
kind of connect with other people from across the world who also think that way. So I think that does make a good point in the sense of there is positives actually when it comes to kind of that digital identity and stuff. And Lewis, you're right in kind of pointing that out. Because one issue or one thing that I always have started to think about was like refugees. So I remember I used to work for the UN and I was, I was working, I was re- resettling refugees in Malaysia and everything was very paper, like everything was on paper. So, you know, people are talking about coming from, you know, a war-torn country and all they have really is their story. Um, and then I guess for that means that they have to go through like three different interviews which could be over like the course of like two years to then be given the the status of a refugee because before that they're an asylum seeker. So I think, you know, in that case, having like a biometric identity allows people to be able to like move across the world if they need to because they can always kind of have that. But equally, it could discriminate against that same group of people because I think of that and then I'm like, well, you need electricity, you need a smartphone, you need all these things to then access what you say is your identity. So I think there are advantages and limitations, but I guess then like, what what do you see as like the role of like tech companies in this? Like, is there a need to kind of de- decentralize because people trust institutions less? Or do you feel like the way tech companies have this information is okay. Like, I think I brought up the the example of police data. Yeah, like who holds this? But yeah, like what do you feel like the role of tech companies should be in this kind of digital ID and privacy conversation? I don't think if this is really a problem, but with most of these tech companies, they're driven purely by profits. And as long as they need to make money, probably at the end of the year, they will use whatever they have at their disposal, including your identity or your data to try and turn that into a profit. However, we don't have a centralized way of trying to identify people around the world. Different governments have their own systems, different companies have different systems in place. Do you think we need a centralized system? If it's controlled by a central organization, then it could be easily controlled or tampered with, mm-hmm. which means, or easily controlled, which means that it can easily be tampered with and mess a lot of people up. But however, with decentralization comes fragmentation where everyone is doing it their own way. I think there's something to lose and gain in both centralizing it or decentralizing it. But maybe Sibel could share, could share some light on that. Uh, well, uh, sorry, I don't agree with you. I don't know. Why don't we have a universal government? It's impossible, you know, to do it every area, every people of the world. You know, uh, I believe it's the same with when, especially when we talk about biometric, is your own thing, you know, it's only yours. You don't choose as a PIN number or a password. Can you picture if some one entity, you know, could deal with everyone else's identity? How can we corrupt this? Because people are corrupt. This is the end. You know, we see it yeah. by the government. So I don't believe, uh, like, uh, I truly believe decentralization is the, the thing. Or maybe it's just aspects. Like, so for instance, maybe it's not about centralizing every single aspect of it. Maybe it's just about centralizing some. Like, I'll give you an example. Like, for instance, like, um, if you think of like social media sites right now. So this week, for instance, I like I was looking up like my dad's part, like my dad's dead. But like I was looking up his Facebook. Sometimes I go on his Facebook. His Facebook in some ways is like a digital graveyard for me. But I never really thought about it so much until like this subject And then I went on his Facebook and I basically realized that his Facebook was like deactivated, like it no longer existed. So like Facebook and all these companies hold 
the information of like a lot of dead people, basically. And the only way to get it back is to basically upload a death certificate to then be able to control the Facebook. And I bring that up to say, I thought about that. Like I had to upload my dad's death certificate to Facebook. And I was a bit like, this feels weird, like a social media site. It feels weird to that I ha- like that they have that information or that they are controlling his online narrative. And of course it's necessary, but I just mean like maybe when it comes to this idea of centralization or decentralization, like maybe it's not about the whole system. Maybe it's about part of it, parts of it that seem like they shouldn't be in the hands of social media sites, not necessarily like everything, but I don't necessarily know. I think I'm still, that I personally am still trying to decide what I think about that. But I guess, what do you think? Maybe it's not all of it. Maybe it's some of it. I don't think social media should have any information about us, you know. Facebook or Meta right now have too much power. And you, this was yeah. built, you know, during the time. Just Not just because people, because governments have let them, this happen, you know. Why don't shut down Facebook when they, say, they saw, oh, how many information you have. This is a big discussion every single day that is, uh, Facebook is paying a fine for a government. So I don't know exactly how to do this. Social media don't need to have all this information, but at the same time, how to do this? Because if it can be anyone say, oh, it's my daddy. Can you take this off? You know, I don't want this anymore. Well, it definitely made me think about like, for instance, of my generation, right? I'm 27. If I died, for instance, I feel like I would now have to be like, I want my social media sites deleted. I guess we have all this like, we have all this archive knowledge of like all these digital identities more than we ever had before but it's also a conversation that people or a a thing that people need to discuss in a way that they never discussed before because people didn't need to say like that they want their online presence to live on or not it's amazing what we have to think right now i I never thought i had to think if i die right now who will do with my social media you know my sister my mom uh you know, I, of course, I don't want my me living forever online because someone can take my identity. Like in the wartime, someone steal the identity of someone else. There is a lot of bunch of movies about this. Yeah. Yes. Luis, what do you think? Do you have anything to add on this? I also found it quite weird. It wasn't on Facebook. It was more like Google. And I was dealing with it. And you know how you have takeout, so you export all your data on Google. They gave me an option to upload, uh, was it five contacts who I'd like to have access to my accounts when they're there that's like all my data will be transferred to them and then they delete my account and I was feeling that out I was wondering just as you are is this the kind of data I'm comfortable I'm comfortable giving to such a big operation especially knowing I haven't really read the terms and conditions you know you click accept but those documents are huge and the massive amounts of data that they collect so they can be able to take out and email them out to people it felt felt quite weird it was almost like writing a wheel yeah, it definitely is. Like I like I for instance had to decide whether to memorialize or delete my dad's account. So I yeah, I feel like um it's a weird one and I feel like when I speak to a lot of my other bereaved friends we're always having conversations around this type of thing. So like one of my other friends, she finds it very annoying to be the she's like the leader of her dad's page or whatever. So yeah, for different people it's different, but I think equally I guess the what other people could say is like we will have more information in history now than ever before, including information of people who were here and so it allows us as like society in the future to kind of continue to kind of grow and develop because you know more information and stuff. Something I feel we've missed out an example of how people misuse digital ID and privacy and I'll speak this from past experience with people around me in my country. Uh, a lot of people don't really 
know and understand what digital ID and privacy is, or when you talk about big data leaks or don't share information online, they don't quite see it, but criminals around here would very easily harvest that data. Uh, they'd get that data from where they'd get it from, banks. So you have inside people in banks selling out customer records, government records, if you can get your hands on them. And they'd use those to come up with huge, uh, what they call these financial swindling rackets where they make you send money to non-existent accounts or they clean your bank account and then you're left there. Like it's, it's not until people experience something like that that they now understand why it was important to not share your own private data, not just your password, but even your email, your things like your date of birth. I don't know where you went to school. That's like completely out of hand in the UK, like when it comes to like bank fraud and stuff. They're very, very sophisticated as well. In terms of fraud and stuff, even I've, I was reading that it's more Gen Z's and young millennials who are being like frauded more than like older people because we have more of a digital presence. So our information is online more. Or even if you look at like with, with you talking about banks, if you look at like the massive cryptocurrency, I think it was a couple of months ago, someone stole like millions of millions in crypto. I think it was around 660 million or so. And then I think the next day it was like deposited back in small amounts. But I think it shows that kind of vulnerability that you're talking about on the, in the online sphere that you just we never really had before. So I think you're totally right. And I think actually you also bring up the question of like literacy around it. And I think that's an important part. And I, I think even from this perspective, like living in London, I think that literacy element is missing around the conversation. So how can we kind of enable people then to be more empowered when it comes to protecting themselves? Education, um, digital ID and privacy education, not just in schools, all these corporations and social media, I see even these big companies are trying to do it to help people understand what kind of data that's being collected. But speaking from my country's perspective, uh, it's the older people here who get older a lot more than the younger people because they're the ones who are coming online. Banks are moving online, so they have to sign up uh, to banking applications. They don't really understand the implications of sharing out their data. I, I don't know if I can talk enough times, if I can mention enough times how many times I have stopped my mom from filling out some online form that's asking for her details and she's like, they're saying they'll send me money. I'm, no, no, no. Uh, and that's just not her. And I see companies here, especially banks, are proactively limiting accounts for people. So if they notice, like they put caps on the amount of money you can deduct per day. It inconveniences people because you have to go to the bank. We have to call the bank before you can make huge deposits. But it's it also helped a lot because a lot of people here, their accounts were clean, like of their life savings, everything just goes all because someone filled out a web form somewhere or they allowed an app to have access to their contact list or something. Oh, and in finance also, there's some abusive thing which I found here that when you sign up, we have very many small, quick loans applications. You know, the kinds of, the kinds that you don't know, you need money urgently, I need uh, to buy something here, so you quickly take a loan. Those apps ask for data like your contact list. Yeah, actually, when you default payment or you're late to pay, the, they start contacting your contact list. So they call your mom, call your dad, call your aunt, and they tell her, tell this person to, to pay our money back. And it's really embarrassing because now uh, your friends are getting called because you took a loan of 10, you took out $10 or something like that. It's, I feel like that's a really huge breach of privacy, but uh, our laws in the country right now don't really cover that. So Yeah. So the laws need to reach up to like what's actually happening. And I think that's an issue actually globally. Just to finish off, do you guys want to, um, I guess, Sibel, you can start. Could both of you just basically say one thing that you're super hopeful for or really excited about when it comes to this kind of digital ID and privacy space and how it's moving? 
Well, of course, I'm super excited because just exactly about this, you know, try to educate people about privacy and security in your digital ID, you know. I'm very excited because people can learn a lot, you know, a lot in different perspectives from Latin America, uh, mm. Africa countries, India, US, uh, Europe. It will be amazing. So I hope people can go there, enjoy, you know, can absorb a lot of knowledge and to try to make this improve our privacy and security our own because we have the same problem you said in London, Lewis said in his country, happens here in Brazil, in Latin America. I see every single day tons about uh, of fraud, you know, using our ID or someone else's ID. So yes, that's it. I'm I'm really excited, you know, to select some people to talk, to present workshop, lectures, or any other kind of presentation, including art, to talk about this privacy and security and digital ID. So yes, I hope to see everybody there and maybe next year uh, presential, you know, I would like to see everybody else and maybe give a hug. I don't do this with people anymore. <laughs> it's dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Lewis. I'm almost excited for what uh, the internet has to offer in the digital ID and privacy space. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we've raised enough concern around, concerns around it, but I'm also excited for things like cryptocurrencies, NFTs, and all these forms of online trading, which will be facilitated by uh, digital identities. As for most first, I'm excited for that day because people will get to share and learn all within the digital ID and privacy space. But I'd also encourage, or I'd like to see more uh, education going around on people, for people around, uh, on, on topics around digital ID and privacy. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much both for joining. It's been really interesting talking to you guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Let's Get Lytical podcast. Our socials are Let's Get Lytical on Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. I've been your host, Helen. This episode was produced by Hannah Kane, edited by Matt Campbell and any animations online by Jonas Svensson. Also, remember to get your ticket to the MozFest Festival at mozillafestival.org. Hope you enjoyed this episode. See you next time. Let's get it to cool.